welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. So glad to have you with us today. I actually have a special guest in studio with me today, Michael Vandenberg. Michael is the Executive Director of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul here in Dayton, Ohio, the greater Dayton area. And we're going to discuss uh, among the connections between the Society of St. Vincent de Paul and Carmelites, and even uh, on some measure Carmelite spirituality, we're going to discuss the role of St. Vincent de Paul in the Dayton area. And uh, Michael, first of all, hello. Great to have you with me. Thank you for joining me. Great to be here, Mark. Thanks for having me. This is a treat for me because, as it turns out, Michael is my new boss. Uh, Michael actually identified an opportunity, uh, which will also be a central theme for our conversation, and a desire on his part to expand the role of evangelization for the society here in the Dayton area, and uh, asked me to uh, support him in that effort, and I'm happy to do so. Um, certainly, we're going to talk about uh, that and the society itself, but as this is Karma-like Conversations, Michael, we begin each of our conversations in prayer, and so I'm going to ask that we might all just take a moment to find ourselves in a silent, contemplative disposition, bringing ourselves before the Lord and asking that we might be open to what it is the Holy Spirit has to share with us today regarding the wonderful ministry of St. Vincent de Paul Society. So in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds Help us, Lord, to come to a deeper understanding both of the needs of the poor and what we as members of your church may do to begin to address some of those needs. But beyond that, Lord, help us to understand and to know the depth of our own need in serving the poor, how it is an opportunity for us to be transformed in holiness to practice the virtues of charity, of patience, of perseverance that inevitably lead to our own transformation in love. We ask that we might gain wisdom through the conversation tonight and perhaps even respond to an invitation to find a role and a deeper commitment to the poor in our society and those in our immediate area. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Michael, when I asked you to join me for this conversation, I said that I would um, find a link between Carmelite spirituality and what St. Vincent de Paul uh, uh, preached as his own spirituality of charity. And of course, the uh, beginning of society came much later. We can go into a little bit of that history. But I think I found a critical link, and it's in the person of a man named Leo DuPont. Uh, Leo Dupont actually was uh, uh, very devoted to Teresa of Avila, and he also uh, had a number of key devotions. One was to the Holy Face, which, if you're not familiar, is actually a Carmelite devotion as well. It was begun by Veronica, of course, as she wiped the face of our Lord in his passion, uh, but was um, really revived in uh, France uh, by a, a Carmelite nun uh, who was... Uh, granted visions by our Lord, who asked her to uh, institutionalize this devotion to the Holy Face. I don't want to go into the details. It's not the central theme of our topic, but uh, Leo Dupont himself was also very devoted to the Holy Face. And secondly, uh, and perhaps his greatest devotion, was to Eucharistic adoration. And in fact, in his own hometown of Tours, France, he instituted uh, nighttime Eucharistic adoration, not 24 by 7, uh, but nighttime adoration, which he found to be the most powerful. Uh, just to put things in context, Mr. DuPont lived from 1797 to 1876. Uh, he was born in Martinique, but he actually died in Tours, France, where he spent most of his life and was certainly a, um, um, a man devoted to his faith. And perhaps uh, uh, as significantly was his participation in the Society of St. Vincent de Paul that had actually recently been formed, as you know, you know the dates and the history better than I do. Uh, but he was an active supporter and member and one whose uh, contributions to the society helped it to grow in the early days. So where I'd like to begin our conversation, Michael, is just giving you an opportunity to talk about the initiative that you and I have been in conversation uh, uh, over now for not much more than a week. Uh, but is your vision and your 
um, a motivation for how you want to take uh, the, the society here in Dayton that you have been responsible for for just under two years now. That's right. Um, share with us your vision for the spiritual element and the evangelization a component of the society. Well, keeping in mind that we are a Catholic lay apostolate uh, and nearly 200 years old, um, when we were um, founded in Paris um, um, in the early 1800s, um, the, the society since then has gotten um, a lot of uh, attention around its corporal works of mercy, um, but there's also uh, this element of spirituality and friendship and service that comes together as our core uh, charism. So um, the, the spirituality element often gets um, not as much attention mm -hmm. uh, when people talk about the, the works of the society and uh, the activities of the members. Although uh, in, our, in our gatherings of um, conferences, which is our local basic unit, um, we, we do try to spend about a third of the time on each area, so spirituality, service, and friendship. Um, say, say a little more about the conferences. It was news to me, I have to confess, not having been directly involved in uh, the society, though I did support it in two separate parishes where I've been a member in my uh, local area. Um, I wasn't familiar uh, with the structure. Now, the conferences themselves are typically made up of what membership in, in and these are a parish, right? Uh, for, our, for our listeners, are typically a parish. Typically a parish. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a parish, but that's our um, that's our traditional uh, structure where um, the society exists as a ministry inside of a parish, but not a ministry of the parish. So mm -hmm. um, it is it is a separate uh, lay apostolate, as I mentioned, and uh, the the members there um, will focus on accompanying individuals in need. Now we typically think of that as material need, um, but also uh, we, we want to pay attention to uh, not just the needs of others, but the needs of ourselves to grow spiritually. And so um, um, those, those activities focused on others come together uh, in, a, in a special way where we are known to be the sort of the primary arm of the church engaged in corporal works of mercy and um, what, what we're working on here now is um, returning to that contemplative peace, including um, our own spiritual growth and study and worship and prayer, uh, the, and the community aspects of um, witnessing our faith to others. Yeah. And the, the great opportunity that we have to, um, um, to present the, the beauty uh, of our faith to others. I tell you, it was a revelation for me, and it's actually one of the things that most intrigued me when uh, the individual who you first reached out to, we don't need to go to the whole story, but uh, who ultimately uh, reached out to me and uh, identified this opportunity that you were looking to fill, I began my research, and what I found most intriguing about the society, and I'll read from the guidance provided to one of the members of the conference that Michael mentioned is represented either in a parish or, as it turns out, Michael, you, you're right, in, in our uh, a collection of conferences here, we have a university that, that plays a, a significant role and, in fact, has, uh, constitutes a conference on its own. Uh, there's typically a president, a vice president, a uh, treasurer, a uh, secretary, and there's a role identified as spiritual advisor. And I got into the literature about spiritual advisor, and that led me back into the history of the founding of the society. And I was amazed to discover some of the language of the responsibilities related to the spiritual advisor, including that they are responsible for the spiritual growth and development of each member, as well as the group as a whole. They are called to help the members see in each person they serve the face of Christ and call each member to an ever-deepening relationship with our Lord. In other words, the foundation of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul was not primarily uh, to uh, serve as an arm of charity, certainly that's a central theme, but it was actually created to bring about 
uh, the holiness of the individuals who participate in that ministry. Is that, is that accurate? That's right. That's right. And um, we are in a, uh, a point in time in our uh, history as a church where so much of, of this has become fragmented that we distill our uh, ministries into human services or we distill our, um, our faith life into something that's closed into ourselves. And so what, what a wonderful opportunity that we have um, in the Society of St. Vincent de Paul to, um, to reintegrate the action and the, the, the contemplative piece of who we're called to be in the Christian experience. Yeah, and uh, again, you and I had a brief conversation before we came on air, and I related the story, which I know you're very familiar with, the history of St. Lawrence, the deacon, uh, who uh, at the time uh, that the church was under great assault uh, by the emperor, and in fact the pope had been martyred, and uh, deacon uh, Lawrence was um, basically uh, commissioned by the emperor to uh, bring the existing treasures of the church to be found in the city of Rome uh, to the emperor's palace on the next day. And of course, uh, for those familiar with the story, we know that he showed up in the courtyard of the palace of the emperor with uh, the broken and the lame and the poor and the sick and the indigent uh, members of, uh, of society. And he said, I present to you the treasures of the church. These are the treasures of the church. And in a very real way, when we understand the sacrament of charity, when we understand the call to charity, when we understand the idea we talked about briefly, seeking the face of Christ, both in the Holy Face and in the Eucharist, we are um, called to serve the poor among us, not simply as uh, uh, an act of duty or responsibility, that may be true, uh, but it is a personal call to transformation and holiness on our part. And that's what really captivated me about the society. I, I want to um, segue here and give you an opportunity, Michael, to talk about uh, the other thing that was revealing to me and surprising to me, to be honest with you, and that's the breadth of services under your uh, responsibility here in the city of Dayton. It was uh, uh, really quite eye-opening for me to realize how much work is being done in the city. And it is not limited to food pantries and clothes and other things people typically associate the society with, but it's much broader than that. I'd ask you to go ahead and elaborate on that a little bit. Well, certainly the primary work um, that is done is the ministry of individual Vincentians. And we have uh, roughly 700 active Vincentians who um, do their ministry out in the conferences, as, as we uh, said. Uh, mostly in parishes. Uh, we have about 30 parishes in the area that have conferences, and then we have a refugees conference and, um, and uh, a youth conference as well, and, and also uh, uh, a conference at the University of Dayton. Um, but we also have about 140 employees whose job it is to assist um, the Vincentians in their ministry. And so the, the primary special work that we're known for that's what we call these uh, activities, um, is uh, our emergency homeless shelters. And we have two of those, and they're the only in the, only ones in the Miami Valley area. Um, right now, uh, this is the time of year when, when they are the most crowded. So each of them um, ha houses somewhere around 250 people per night, uh, including anywhere from 80 to 100 children. Um, on any given night. So that's our um, primary ministry that is run by the staff. And then we also have um, a number of permanent supportive housing and transitional housing programs that work in conjunction with our um, emergency shelters and with the local continuum of care uh, that is uh, coordinated by the Department of Housing and Urban Development on a local basis. And so we're partners in that. There are many uh, other social service agencies um, who cooperate to serve individuals in need in that particular way, uh, mostly focused on housing. And um, we also operate a system of food pantries. We have 11 food pantries throughout our area. Um, so we also have two thrift stores. 
that provide an opportunity for people to pay what they can um, for their clothing or household goods or furniture. Um, so really what we do is we focus on um, accompanying individuals in need and we focus on clothing, uh, food, and shelter. And those, those are the primary uh, uh, areas of service for us. And, and then, of course, as I said, um, we have this wonderful opportunity to reaffirm our Christian identity, our, and our, in particular our Catholic identity, um, to better witness to people who um, are thirsty for God. And um, so the way we cooperate with each other um, to, to show that there is purpose behind what we do and there's a purpose to our lives and, and we think a purpose for, for their lives uh, that, that they might uh, see the beauty in that. Yeah, and I, uh, I just want to reiterate the, the numbers that you just uh, outlined because uh, I've had the pleasure now of, uh, of touring each of the facilities that Michael mentioned. There's a woman's shelter. We actually happen to be in the building uh, of the downstairs portion of that woman's shelter now, and there are over 250 women, uh, as you indicated, uh, within them, probably as many as 70 or 80 children. And then just across the way from us here, not too far, is a men's shelter, which houses an equivalent number, every single night, three meals a day, uh, and services that help those individuals, uh, to the extent that they can, get back on their feet and get back into society, right? And there are a number of stories uh, I know, Michael, you related some. I've talked to some of the other folks in the building who related, you know, how people end up in these uh, uh, situations. It may be a result of broken homes. It may be a substance abuse. Uh, uh, it, it may just be, uh, you know, financial uh, uh, circumstances that left them uh, out on the street temporarily in some cases. Uh, any number of reasons. But the objective is, in all cases, to try to get them back on the street or I'm sorry, back into housing and back into society in some productive way where they can be self-sustaining. That's the principal motivation behind it, right? Well, there, there is that, and there's also uh, an element of, there's a growing percentage of um, people who are working who are homeless. Um, so there, there's more than a few people in shelter who stay here and go to work every day. Um, we also are one of the unusual shelters in the region where men can be with their children. Um, that's, that's something that's not uh, universal, even among uh, communities that have shelters uh, for the homeless. When um, we come back, uh, I, I want to pick up the spiritual conversation. Uh, but before we close in the four or five minutes we've got left before the break, I want us to talk a little bit, or have you talk a little bit about, Michael, the significant role that the Society of St. Vincent de Paul played in a huge tragedy that struck our area not that long ago, just a few months ago now. Uh, no doubt, uh, people certainly in our own area and across the country heard about it. Devastating tornadoes that ripped through uh, Dayton and, and the greater Dayton area left remarkable historical levels of devastation. Homelessness added to that factor, uh, destruction of entire uh, homes and uh, and people's uh, uh, financial well-being and so forth. It was it was a uh, quite a uh, quite a uh, tragedy for our area, and Saint Vincent de Paul was, played a significant role in response to that, and they're still playing that role. I want you to uh, uh, speak a little bit to uh, to that ministry and the work that was done over the last many months. So late in the evening of uh, Monday, May 27th, Memorial Day, we had about 16 tornadoes strike western Ohio, including as far north as Salina, where unfortunately um, a man lost his life, and um, many other devastating tornadoes through the Dayton area, uh, including one particularly strong EF4 tornado that uh, uh, basically uh, made uninhabitable and uninhabitable about 700 residential structures. Now, when I say residential structures, some of those structures were apartment buildings where more than 100 families lived. So we're, we were dealing with a couple thousand um, displaced uh, folks. And uh, a very high percentage of those folks were in rental properties in lower income areas um, where they, they did not have the sort of... Uh, 
support network to bounce back um, as maybe a, a wealthier area would have had. And so immediately on the morning of the 28th, um, I was out with our um, volunteers and staff uh, in cooperation with the Red Cross uh, to provide food and water to everyone that we came across. And of course, it took us a couple of weeks to really um, uh, discover the extent of the damage and the extent of the, the long-term recovery that would be required. Um, but I'd have to say that um, one of the silver linings of all of this is that we have many new partnerships, particularly in the faith community. Um, I, I have some wonderful new relationships with um, my brothers and sisters who are from other faith traditions, and, and we never would have come together if not for something like this. So it really has been a, a silver, silver lining in all of that. And uh, talk about the ongoing work. We viewed the, uh, the, the one of the stores that you mentioned the other day, and there's still work going on in support of people that are still crawling out of the consequences of that uh, devastation, uh, uh, referring specifically uh, to some of the support that you've gotten from some large uh, furniture manufacturers, and now the responsibility of getting those goods out of the, the store and onto trucks and out to the individual homes. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so there are great needs for uh, furniture in particular and other housewares um, to help people resettle in um, their new homes. And there are quite a few people who don't have new homes yet because what they can afford is not available. And so we have uh, quite a number of uh, folks, we think about 300 or so, who are still not uh, well settled. They're still sleeping on their friend's couch or their mother's couch or what have you. And um, there, there are some great needs that, that need more complicated case management. But in the meantime, we actually have hundreds of, um, of households that are in demand for things like furniture and housewares. And it just takes us a while to, to get that together and get it delivered to them. Yeah. And uh, just before we close here, I, I had spoken with one of our uh, co-workers uh, here recently and we're envisioning now potentially a third store to serve in a larger geographic footprint just south of where we are here is that is that a plan for the future we're going to add to that capability as well i'm hopeful that we will I'm hopeful <laughs> yeah there's uh there is a lot going on in the uh, uh, saint vincent de paul society much more than i had anticipated i'm going to encourage our listeners just before we go to break you know if you're thinking that maybe this is a ministry you have heard about and, and uh, have some interest and would like to explore in greater detail um, how to become involved in the ministry, you can go to a website. There is a website for St. Vincent de Paul Society. Just type that into your search engine. And there's a, a tab on the top there for volunteer. Uh, certainly uh, lots of opportunities for people to contribute to the ministry and uh, certainly in areas like uh, Dayton where we still have a significant uh, uh, population of homeless, those who need, uh, you know, bag lunches that Michael mentioned, they go off to work every day. We have a bag lunch ministry. There's a whole host of uh, services that go around supporting the folks that we um, seek to find the face of Christ in uh, through this ministry. And I encourage you uh, to look at an opportunity to participate in that. Well, a reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, Christian Voice in Your Home. My guest today is Michael Vandenberg. He's the Executive Director of the St. Vincent de Paul Society for the Greater Dayton Area. And Michael's been sharing with us a lot of the work, uh, some of it surprising, and certainly to me, that goes on within the Society of St. Vincent de Paul um, and uniquely in the city of Dayton, uh, a significant amount of uh, shelter, we would define it as, housing support, uh, both short and long term. In addition to um, the society's uh, remarkable response in the, in the face of a horrible tragedy that affected our area not that many months ago, and that support still goes on. But Mike, I'd like us to return to uh, the discussion of your vision for evangelization and uh, the institutionalizing, a little bit of the spirituality. You know, I've talked to some of the conferences, and it's clear to me, conference leadership and, and the spiritual advisors, many of them, 
clearly understand what they want to achieve and they, they try to inculcate uh, this idea of a personal call to holiness, the, the uh, people we serve as a means of our personal transformation, seeing the face of Christ, all these aspects that we've raised. But, but you had a larger vision. You see something more for the spiritual um, pillar, if you will, of those three pillars that represent the charism. Uh, and um, I'd like you to go ahead and elaborate on where you want to take uh, the society that you're responsible for here in Dayton. Well, first of all, I, I want to um, re-bridge uh, between the identity of the volunteers who are the Vincentians, who, may, who are the members of the Society of St. Vincent de Paul, uh, re redraw that bridge to between them and we as the employees of the Society. Um, I think that um, um, one of the things I discovered when I came here was that uh, most of our employees weren't quite sure what we really were. Mm -hmm. And um, that's, that's uh, tremendously important for us to have that connection to the people we work for. Um, so that, that, was, that was first brought to my attention. And then secondly, you know, the Holy Spirit has ways of, um, of waking us up uh, when, when we're um, going about our business. And there, were, there was more than one person who approached me even before I started my work here um, who was interested in, um, in particular, um, supporting a chapel here. And that's not something that we've ever had um, uh, in, in recent years uh, attached to our ministries in, in particular. And it struck me that, wow, what an opportunity it would be to reserve the Blessed Sacrament right in, literally underneath the feet of, of the homeless who are living above in, in, in the dorms. And so that, that vision has sort of captivated my attention uh, from the very beginning. That whole, um, not just symbolism, but real presence uh, and how powerful that can be um, for, for any ministry to be uh, armed with um, the bread of life in that particular way and to witness um, the real presence uh, of, of Jesus among us. So um, that has been sort of a focal point for um, much of what I've been meditating on about the possibility for our spiritual growth and regrowth uh, and reconnection uh, to our roots. So with that in mind, I'll share with our listeners that Michael and I are actually sitting not far from his offices, just down the hallway, and the next door over, Michael happens to be, uh, though still uh, waiting for the finishing touches, but it's the chapel that Michael just talked about. So uh, I can uh, say that uh, this is not the only St. Vincent de Paul Society building I'm familiar with that has its own interior chapel. There are others, but I'm not aware of anyone that envisions a daily Mass, Michael, and that, that is uh, one of the things that you shared with me. And uh, again, uniquely, uh, you want to offer that Mass uh, at a different time slot than most of the Masses that are offered in the Dayton area. You want to share that with us? Right. So our, our target time is 5.30 in the evening, Monday through Friday. Um, we know that uh, that's not um, a regular time. Um, not a regular time of day at all for a daily Mass. Now, some parishes have Monday evening Mass or Wednesday evening Mass. Um, but this is a way that we can regularly celebrate uh, the Eucharist uh, at a time when um, some people may find convenient to come join us, come accompany uh, our guests who are here, who will have an opportunity to, um, to celebrate with us. Yeah, and so... Uh... Obviously, that's going to require a lot of logistics. We'll have to have a number of priests at our disposal who are willing uh, to participate with us. They have to travel a little bit in some cases, but um, it will require, uh, you know, the basics of getting people in and out of the building. We're a secure building, so uh, there'll be those uh, logistics that'll have to be worked through. But uh, basically, the objective is to try to offer Mass at a time when it is not normally offered in the greater Dayton area in the early evening catching the go-to-home uh, from work crowd, as well as uh, folks, as you mentioned, that uh, may have a, a, a desire to participate in the ministry, but they have other responsibilities in home and in other places throughout the course of the day. Uh, that time slot may allow uh, for more of that. And also, and I think as much 
uh, making sure that the individuals within the shelters that we discussed, um, the women who happen to reside in our own facility and the men who would be bussed over, those who are interested in participating, uh, to make available um, the, the, the service each day, five days a week, uh, and, um, and, and invite as many people as want to participate in that as possible. And uh, I'll just share with our listeners again, uh, the focus of the chapel is really about uh, a, a ministry of outreach. It's about a ministry of participation. Um, it's about a ministry of helping people understand that they can draw on a higher power, right? I mean, there's so much of what Michael's described, the objective part of counseling and financial support and uh, direct uh, support for food and clothing, the most immediate needs, but we are talking now about what is arguably the most vital, if not immediate, but certainly the most vital, and that's the spiritual part, uh, part of the, the uh, uh, reestablishing people uh, in society, and that's getting them to realize there's a higher power they can turn to. Of course, there'll be, um, you know, a number of opportunities for catechesis in prayer and helping people bridge that relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, there'll be uh, some basic communication around uh, the power of the saints to intercede for us, uh, certainly catechesis on the Eucharist itself, uh, but the whole point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations have an additional source that they can draw on, the, the only source, and those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear. Uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of, of the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that, quite frankly, does not exist today. Not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us. Well, and I would say that, you know, e even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other. And, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in, in this way, and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to to do that, um, that that's a that's a, a foot in the door, is it not, uh, for them to uh, enter the, the the richness of contemplation in the real presence, and and as you alluded to, the 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 power of that is 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 but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before who might witness it for the first time but certainly if we were to keep that up um, then uh, it, it it will be noticed and it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves 24 7 uh, for the time that they need to be here and and also i think quite powerfully um, introduce a broader segment of our catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the in the way that they would like to um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries. Yeah, and it's, uh, uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people, especially in the conferences and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences, either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. Um, there's a particular immigrant conference that, that uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, but uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, in, uh, integrated into the prayer 
part of the spirituality of the society for this simple reason. Uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the, uh, the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on. And so we want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside, and that's where uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak uh, very uh, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many, many years on the part of many in this area to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord, but we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do, and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us. These treasures of the church will be with us until the Lord returns, and now we're being invited through this uh, um, initiative of 24 by 7 adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to uh, uh, make that available. And we hope if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area and thinking too about how you begin to engender a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that, of course, Michael, stems all the way back to our, uh, our patron, St. Vincent himself, St. Vincent de Paul. And so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the just the brief uh, you know, elevator speech history, because many people associate the society's founding itself with St. Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, but I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well, and isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the society nearly 200 years ago. And when it was founded, it was uh, with reference to a, a saint another 200 years before that. So yeah. uh, it is, you know, initially I think of um, how the, the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way. So um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is, is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who, who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was um, in, their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart and uh, they approached um, some particular daughters of charity who again are part of the the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself uh, to learn how to accompany the poor, learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have uh, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character and, and how we operate. And Ozanam himself, being a lay person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, it, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to 
uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision. Talk, talk about that part of it, because that's so so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the of the society. Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we, we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a ministry. We're a two-by-two uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are, quite literally in their homes. And it's been that way since the beginning. That's what the Daughters of Charity uh, taught Frederick and his companions um, on, on how to be present to people, how to minister to them, how to be in authentic relationship with them. Um, and I think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic um, two-way real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them that has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships. And the idea that, um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to, to gain for ourselves other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent, we may come back to them, but because you leapt to that, I want to, I want to capitalize on that and uh, just point out that the, um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for St. Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original uh, society, not societies, but his uh, uh, the, the missions and the uh, daughters of the uh, uh, daughters of charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty. And, and he said, um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially, he would not uh, want any one of these foundations. Uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of, uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own um, members practicing that idea of poverty. And it may have been material poverty. In many ways, of course, it was for those who were ordained. But uh, even from a spiritual standpoint, he, it, it wasn't, as you said, you know, we, we give of our excess and, and that which we have left. We can think about the woman in the gospel, of course, that Christ uh, points out to giving the, the, the last of her uh, resources. But um, here, St. Vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve, and that's uh, the poor and, and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues because uh, these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I, I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is something that um, um, we, we struggle with in, in so much of our society today. I, I, don't, I, I confess I don't know what it was like um, for him in, in his day, but, but I can say that... Um, you know, one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters, for example, who, who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um, who have um, may, maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances, but 
many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here is that um, not everyone who comes here is in misery. Sometimes there's a quiet joy about them and it is in their simplicity. It is in their letting go. It is in their not being attached to uh, too many worldly things. And, um, you know, many of them um, frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a, a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility. Um, but simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we, we of course, are, are yearning for that virtue in, uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that, that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that I can walk a hundred feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, and that's a powerful witness. You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I, I read some of the material from St. Vincent's history on him and how he implemented and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct yeah. other activities people's activities, but you, and it seems to be uh, a pervasive throughout the organization, people want to be involved in the ministry. They want, to, they want to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in, in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. And right. I think that's also part of that. Well, and, and plus how we position ourselves um, in that we are we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity. Uh, when when all their other networks fail, when their when their family network fails, their employment fails, their shelter fails, their food security fails, um, you know we we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to. We don't have barriers. We don't have the complications of. Uh, you know, the um, conditions that are placed on, um, on, on loving others. That's what we're here for. And, and again, we're, we're known throughout the community for that. Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly, the, the uh, interim ones, we would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness, of course, in this environment. That's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal. Zeal for the work. Say, say just a few words about that, if you would. Yeah, that, gosh, zeal is an interesting thing because, of course, um, uh, it's used a couple of ways, isn't it? It's, it well, on the one hand, it's, it's uh, used to describe passion. On the other hand, it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that chase down their own designs on, on folks. But, but I, you know, I, I have to say that... Um, there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel that really powers us to engage every day, and I see it in in our volunteers and our employees, and and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, there there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about. Um, uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work, um, uh, where they notice that that we we're just energized. And and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit. It has a way of drawing you in. I have witnessed uh, 
just in my short tenure here, of people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said, people who willingly work 50 and 60 hours a week, you know, to support this ministry. Um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact, uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day, and she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was, it was a passion, and it was palpable, and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging, and, and uh, it's really something to, to hold, to, to behold. And you do see the face of Christ in these people, and it, it makes you want to be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the, the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the uh, most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, there is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit. And if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening, uh, if you know of a St. Vincent de Paul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself. And you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood, and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice, speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet, walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.